So you might be reading that, right? You think about that, and you think, so what if Jesus got baptized? Like I said earlier, the same thing I thought when I was studying it. Over. So what? That's a good question to ask, by the way. You guys should ask that in you guys' hermeneutics class. So what? That's very important, okay? <laughs> what this is, the beauty of the baptism of Jesus Christ is that it's a sign. Pastor Marcus, Kahu Marcus preached on this. Like, it's like a wedding ring. It's a sign of the covenant, right? The covenant that you make between someone, right? Well, baptism is just a sign. I got this straight from his sermon, so we'll listen to that. It reminds us that Christ died, was buried, and then was resurrected. It's a picture of Christ's death on the cross. It's a picture of his sacrifice. Now, now think about how awesome it is, right? Jesus, right, he's identifying with us. He's saying he's just like us, and then he's pointing forward to a time, right, at this moment. He's also pointing forward to the time when he would go to the cross and die for our sins. He would suffer, right? He's getting baptized like a sinner. He's getting baptized like a sinner. He's pointing forward to the time when he will die like a sinner. He will die among thieves. He will die among the unrighteous. Right? But, but, he will come up out of the water. He will be resurrected. Baptism is a sign. It just points to that. So, did Jesus identify with us? Think about that. Does Jesus identify with us when we make ourselves righteous? Right? A lot of people think, you know what, I'm not going to go to church, I'm not going to go to church right now because i gotta, I got to make myself right before the Lord. The point of the gospel is you can't make yourself right. you got no other options. Jesus is the only way, right? So you don't clean yourself up and then come to Christ, right? We look to identify, a lot of times we like to identify with the cool people. I don't know, we like to look tough. Not me though, I don't like to look tough. I would get mopped. I'm a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. We like to look like we all got it together, right? We got, it, we got all our life, we got our life figured out, but not our God, right? right? He identifies with broken, messed up people. Romans 5, it says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely, scarcely, all that means is rarely, one will rarely, right, die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about this, brothers and sisters, right? A lot of people like to look at Jesus as an example. We talked about that earlier. But here's the problem. An example is not going to help you. You know how I know this? Because there's a lot of people out there that have the Bible in their hands. They got examples of good living all throughout the Bible. We got good examples of how to live all throughout the Bible. Any of you guys ever try to be, you guys read Jesus as an example. You ever try to be patient like Jesus? You ever try to have somebody spit in your face, crucify you, beat you up, and all you can say is, Father, forgive him, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's not how I would react. And Kawuzik, I love him, but he confessed on this pulpit that he'd get a little nuts if somebody yelled at him. <laughs> so he's not perfect either. Guys, we get examples of how to live righteously all the time, and we keep failing and failing and failing to live righteously. You know why? Because we don't need an example. We need a substitute. We don't need an example of righteousness. We need somebody to be righteous for us. We have examples of Jesus throughout the Bible, and we constantly fail to live according to the scriptures. We fail to live holy lives. Right? So we need a substitute. And Jesus Christ is that substitute. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says this, For our sake he made him to be sin 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, we become the righteousness of God. Jesus, in being baptized by John, is fulfilling the righteousness that we lack. He's identifying himself with sinful people, and this is foreshadowing his... uh, some, Some words are just too good to not use. Atoning death on the cross. When he's baptized by John, okay, he subjects himself to punishment. It points to the time when Jesus will subject himself to punishment on behalf of broken, sinful people like you and me. So let's go back. Think about what's going on here. Jesus, he's sinless, he's perfect. There's a bunch of sinners around. There's a bunch of Pharisees and religious leaders, and all they see in the water is that Jesus Christ, all they can see is that Jesus is just another sinner in need of repentance, just another sinner in need to be baptized And think about this. Jesus doesn't care about any of that. I don't care what you guys think, Pharisees and Sadducees. I am going to identify with my people. I'm going to step in to the brokenness and the messiness of life, of other people's lives, and I'm going to identify with them. I'm going to live with them, and I'm going to preach to them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to to let you guys know who would do that. Which one of us, when given the opportunity to stand up and appear righteous and worthy would ever decide, make the active decision to be treated like somebody who is unrighteous and unworthy. Like if I told you, hey, like if, for example, if Kahuzi told me, hey, Christian, I'd like you to come preach. Come preach at my church. And when you come, this never happened, when you come, we're going to treat you like a nobody. Um, you're going to come and you, we're going we're gonna to like just disrespect you. We're not going to treat you good, but bro, come out. It would be awesome. I would have probably said no. I'd be like, ah, that's a hard pass. But not Jesus. Jesus takes the opportunity to come and be disrespected and mistreated. Bruh, Jesus came and he made friends with people and he changed their lives. And when the thing got hard, they ran away. God knows everything, right? If I was God, which I'm not, and I saw that was going on, like if the father looked at me and said, son, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come to earth. You're going to live perfect. And then you're going to get mistreated. Matter of fact, they're going to disrespect you. You're going to be hungry. You're going to be looked at like just a regular sinner. And then when you think you're doing everything right and you make a lot of disciples, they're going to kill you. Just like when criminal, they're going to sacrifice you. They're going to spit on you. They're going to put a crown on you to mock you, a crown of thorns. You're going to be bleeding and broken and hurting. And then, to top it all off, they're going to stab you with a spear. Hard pass. But not Jesus. Jesus sees that, and he steps into that story, and he decides, you know what? It's worth it. We talked about Jesus traveling the 70 miles. Guys, he did more than that. He traveled from heaven to earth to become like one of us. He was intentional. He had a purpose. And the purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to live the life that we couldn't live and live the life, not even that we couldn't live, the life we don't want to live naturally. Naturally, we much rather look out for ourselves. We much rather be treated like, like kings. And Jesus Christ identifies with sinners and servants. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we serve. Right? It says this, right? 
in, in Philippians. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus is humble. He's humble, even though he was deserving of being treated with glory and exaltation. He comes, he has every right to come as a king, to come as somebody and, be, and demand, I am God. Don't disrespect me. I'm a king. I ain't identifying with none of you lowlifes. Well, what does he do instead, right? He comes and he becomes like us yet without sin. In all his righteousness, he identifies with sinful people. That's what this is about. And let's continue, right? After telling John this, it says that John finally consents. All that word means, I had to look it up myself. He allowed it to happen. He just said, okay, it's going to happen. He consented. And then in verse 16, it says this, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And I know this is a Baptist church, but this is just a quick plug. If Jesus was in the water, he had to come out out of the water. It's because he was immersed inside the water. So when you baptize, you got to get dunked. Okay, anyways, that's my quick plug. Some of you guys know what I mean. In verse 16, we see that Jesus is baptized, and we get an incredible statement here, right? The heavens were open. Kahu Marcus preached on this very thing, guys. Throughout the scriptures, when it says the heavens were open, or the heavens were, um, the heavens were open, it indicates that something major was going to happen. Mark 1.10, Kahu Marcus preached on this. It says the heavens were torn open. You remember when Stephen was dying? He was a deacon. He preached the word to all these uh, Israelites, and he was killed. He was stoned, and he saw... The Son of Man, the heavens were open. He saw the Son of Man um, at the right hand of God. Ezekiel 1.1, it says that the heavens are open. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel starts prophesying. The heavens were open. When you read that in your Bibles, you got to pause because you know something major is about to happen. Something really big is about to happen. This, this kind of language in the Bible is it, biblical imagery that, that Matthew's using right here. If you read your Bibles, you know, the, the people that read their Bibles, they would have known that back in the day. And Carl Marcus talked about this. I got this from his sermon. For 400 years, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the, the Jewish writers of the time, they would, they would talk about that period of time. They call it the intertestamental period between the two testaments. 400 years, God was silent. They actually wrote this. The heavens were shut up. It was shut. God didn't speak to his people. He didn't communicate with his people. Why? Because they were sinful. They were rebellious. But now, after 400 years, the heavens would be open, and what's going to happen? God is going to speak. Finally, he's going to speak. You guys feel like that sometimes. Sometimes you guys are waiting, you guys are praying, you guys are in interceding, and you feel like, what's going on? I feel like my prayers ain't getting past the ceiling, right? Waiting for God to speak. Imagine waiting 400 years for your prayers to be answered. Finally, here's what happens. What happens next is the Holy Spirit comes down, descends on Jesus in the form of a dove. And verse 16 says this, the heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now, there are two things in this passage that's implied. The first is the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Think back to the first time we see the Holy Spirit hovering anywhere. The first time we hear about the Holy Spirit, way back in Genesis 1. Genesis 1-2, right? It says this, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, 
Okay, the symbolism here, right, of the Holy Spirit descending, right, it suggests what? It suggests that in Genesis, it was Spirit of God hovering, and then what happens after that? Starts with a C. Creation. So the picture that we're getting here is that what God is about to start is a new creation. Okay, he's foreshadowing a new creation. And then the dove reminds us, right, about Noah. Remember when Noah sends out the dove? We, we see the dove go out. And what happens there, right? God floods the earth because they're sinful. And then the flood subsides and then sends the dove out. The dove represents, right, at that point we see the dove and we also see what? New creation. And what this is indicating is that God is going to start this new covenant. It's what we call the new covenant, right? A new creation. And he makes all of us new creations when we believe in him, Okay. The Spirit descends on Jesus. We see the heavens are open, and God finally speaks. And I want to, all of us been baptized before? I mean, whoever been baptized before, if you, or if you ever seen a baptize, a baptism, um, we have baptism by immersion. We do all of that stuff. The only thing different between our baptism and Jesus' baptism, no big difference except for at Jesus' baptism, God talks. That's pretty huge. Okay, verse 17 says this. Behold, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. My beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. When you see these words, we got to go back to the Old Testament. If you want to understand the new, you got to go back to the old. Okay? Matthew is setting out to prove that Jesus Christ is the son of David. He's proving that Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham. In, in the book of Isaiah, there's a section called the Servant Songs, and it sings about years and years and years before Jesus was even on earth. It talks about um, this person who would come, the Messiah who would come and, and restore God's people. He would establish God's kingdom here on earth. He would be like the nation of Israel, except for he would be without sin. He wouldn't rebel against God. And the very first section of Isaiah that talks about the servant songs, it starts in Isaiah 42. And Isaiah 42 says this, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. My soul delights. You go back to verse 17. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Then Psalm 2, right? One of the introductory psalms, right? The introduction to the book of Psalms, the Lord says this. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Okay. Now Matthew 3, 17 again. It says this. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The beloved son that was promised in the Old Testament. The beloved son who would come to establish God's kingdom in the Old Testament is Jesus. The one that fulfills all the promises you read in the Old Testament is Jesus. You guys remember that verse, Jeremiah? Jeremiah, I forget what it is because I don't have it anymore on my coffee mug. But, um, you know, it talks about being a blessing, right? Blessing to the kingdom, blessing to the nations, all of that stuff. Seek the welfare of the city. And a lot of times we read the Old Testament promises and automatically we think about, you know, all the blessings and how, you know, we can be blessed too. The thing is, a lot of the promises that we read in the Old Testament, most of them, they're, they're talking about they're going to be fulfilled through Christ. Okay? All the promises you read in the Old Testament, if it's fulfilled through anything except Christ, like, then we got it off. Okay? The promises that we see in the Old Testament, the promises for blessing, the promises um, for righteousness and the establishment of God's kingdom, all of that comes through Jesus Christ. Okay? And so what's going on in Jesus' baptism is more than just a baptism. It's coronation. Coronation... Jesus Christ is being established as the Son of God. He's being established as the King. One pastor says um, that you can see this baptism of Jesus as an anointing to his ministry, as the Messiah. 
Okay, an anointing to his ministry as the Messiah. Isaiah 42 says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit on him. And then Jesus says in Luke 4, 18 through 19, right, The spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The spirit is given to Jesus in order for him to fulfill his ministry. He's given the spirit to fulfill his ministry. And the thing about that is, a lot of times, if you guys are like me, you would think, like, why does Jesus need the Spirit? Isn't he righteous? Isn't he good? Right? But the thing is, Jesus came as a man to identify like us. And so everything that Jesus does, he does as a man through the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, and he gives you that same Spirit in the Bible. So when you guys are given that Spirit, you guys, just like Jesus, are empowered for the work of ministry. And the work of ministry is not preaching and teaching and all those things. The work of ministry is, where do you work? Who can you reach out to? How do you love your kids? How do you raise your kids? Right? All of that is ministry. All of that in some way needs to be done to glorify God. If you play football, playing football to the glory of God. You need to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm a parent. I got three kids, four years of marriage. I was just trying to be highly efficient. Get it all over. Now... And tr- trust me, if you're a parent, you know this. My, my son, he's really Samoan. What that means is, you're going coconut for a head. <laughs> in order to love that guy, in order for me to not blow up at my son and to show him the love of the Father, I need to daily rely on the power of the Holy Spirit because I can't do it by myself. Jesus Christ, he relied on the Holy Spirit to do his work of ministry. Right after this, where is Jesus going to go? Right after he gets baptized, he's going to the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil, to overcome that temptation, to overcome everything that he's going to face after 40, years of fast, uh, 40 days of fasting. He's going to need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot glorify God. You cannot honor him. You cannot live a life that is pleasing to him unless you are relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus shows us that because he is, at this point, empowered and anointed with the Holy Spirit to do the work of ministry. So if you're going to... I'm not going to continue, but even if you're washing cars, rely on the Holy Spirit. Uncle Shannon, yes, sir. So what's the bad news, huh? The bad news is that we don't get the Holy Spirit or empowering to live righteous lives um, on our own because we're unrighteous. If, If you don't know Jesus, in the Bible, there's a principle here as well. In verse 17, that's the last verse. There's a principle that everything, that everything must be established by two or more witnesses for it to be admissible in court. And what we have here is we have a voice from heaven, God himself saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God affirms his son. Think about it. All sinners around, right? He looks like a sinner. But what happens? Jesus humbles himself, becomes like a sinner, but he is also exalted by the father. And God goes, I'm vouching for my son. Jesus doesn't go, if if I was Jesus, I would have been like, hey, I'm just doing this as a substitute for you. I'm not really a sinner. I just wanted to let you know that I'm actually the son of God. I'm getting baptized for you because I want to look more righteous. Jesus doesn't say anything. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't try to defend himself. Like, like me, like us, we can't do that because we're not humble sometimes. And like my wife, when she comes up to me, like say my wife sent me to Costco. She'd been telling me to go to Costco. And she's like, honey, can you go to Costco, pick up some 
med- some donuts or something like that. It's not usually donuts. Sometimes it's medicine for the kids, but donuts is a good example. Go pick up donuts. And I, every day she tells me, and for the whole week I keep forgetting. And she goes, honey, I feel like I can't even trust you. I feel like you always let me down, like you don't care about me. And what, what is, husbands, you know this, what is your natural response to try to go back and find some facts to prove her wrong? Like me. What you mean, hon? Last year, when you told me to go pick up the donuts, I went and grabbed them right away. Because I got to go back that far, you know. I'm not perfect. But a lot of times, what we're trying to do when people criticize us is we got to defend ourselves. Right? Somebody look at you wrong. I'm from Waianae. One time, so this is a cool story. One time I saw my friend, I do jujitsu. I trained trained jujitsu a long time. And I saw one of my friends in Waianae with his kids, and I was with my kids. And I said, hey, I'm not going to use his name, but I'm just going to call him uh, Michael. Hey, Mike, Sabu, with my kids now. He looks at me, he's like, Sabu, boy, let go. And I was like, no, bro, it's it's me from jujitsu. And he goes, oh, Chris, my bad, boy, I thought you was a stranger. And my thought was, uh, bro, I'm from Iolani, right? I was like, ah, it's weird, because your first thought when you see a stranger saying hi to you is you, like, scrap. (laughs) That's so weird. But in my head, what was going on in the spirit, guys? What was going on in my soul at that point? How is he going to talk to me like that? (laughs) Bro, I'm on a white belt with two stripes. (laughs) I can take him. In my spirit, I wanted to defend myself. In my spirit, I wanted to fight back. In my spirit, I wanted to come back at him. Jesus Christ doesn't do that. He doesn't say anything. Who does he wait for to exalt him? His father. Jesus said, I don't care how you treat me. My daddy got me. My dad got me. He got my back. When Jesus died on the cross, what do you think they thought about him? There you go. Just one sinner. Then he was raised again. My daddy got me. It says in the Bible that Jesus Christ was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't try to defend himself, but God exalted him. So I want to ask you guys, as you guys are living your life, as you guys are coming into these conflicts in your souls, don't try, to vi- don't try to vindicate yourself. We shouldn't walk with our heads up high, nose in the air. We're believers. We're Christians. We don't exalt ourselves. God is going to exalt you. Don't worry about that. Right? Whether you live or whether you die, whether people disrespect you or whether they respect you, does it really matter? God loves you. God sent his son to die for you. We don't need to be tough. God fights my battles. And you guys know yourselves anyway. We're weak anyway. So let's not trip, huh? Christ was righteous. He never sinned. He was obedient to God, even to the point of death. And it says this, that Christ identified with sinners. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Christ identifies with sinners, and then he calls sinners to identify with him in baptism. Guys, and all baptism is, is an upward call. Okay, so we're going up, okay? Jesus is coming down to identify with sinners, right? He fulfills all righteousness. And so what do we get in return? When we identify with Christ, we're identifying with the righteous one, the blessed one. So think about Psalm 1. Now think about this. If you're a non-believer, I will tell you, 
You have no, if you're going to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords on the day of judgment with your righteousness alone, good luck. But it's not going to get far. As Psalm 1 says, you will be like chaff that is burned up. But if you trust in God, he offers you a way to salvation. And now, that's how we're blessed. Not because of what we do. Not because of the amount we give or the amount of times we come to church. We are blessed because Christ lived righteous life, righteous life for us. And so listen to Psalm 1 again and think about you with the love of Christ, with God blessing you, all that God did through baptism, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Now read this. Jesus is the blessed man. And because of that, you are blessed. Now let's listen to this psalm again. Think about you with the imputed righteousness of Christ. And I'll read this psalm, and it's not going to be depressing. It's going to be good. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the sinners, of the wicked, will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. In this story, Christ is ultimately the one who lives a blessed life on our behalf. And it's because of Christ, and only because of Christ, that we can even call ourselves blessed. Being blessed, family, being blessed is not based on the amount of things you accomplish. Being blessed is not based on the amount of scriptures you can memorize, the amount of times you come to church, the amount of money you have. Being blessed isn't driving a nice car. It isn't having a big house. It isn't about any of that. Being blessed is about having the righteousness of Christ so that on judgment day we will stand before the Lord and rather than see our sinful hearts and our brokenness, what they're going to see, what God will see, is his son. He's going to see Jesus. And just like he said to Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's going to look at you. He's going to see the work of Christ and he's going to say, you're my son. You're my daughter. Come into the kingdom. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You are blessed because of Christ identifying with you and nothing else. So if you're here and you've not put your trust in Jesus, if you haven't trusted in him as your, as your Lord and Savior, I want to just tell you Christ died for you. Christ died for you. To reject Jesus, though, to reject Jesus is not to... A lot of people talk about an invitation, that God invites you into his family. But I think that one of the better ways... To say this is that Christ summons you to his family. He summons you to believe in Jesus Christ. To reject that is to deny Christ. To deny Christ is to deny your only way for salvation. So don't deny Christ today. Believe in him and trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that we get to stand here before you blessed because of your son. Lord, I pray for everyone here, Lord, that they would see their blessing not in the material needs, not in their accomplishments, not in their 
spirituality and their religion, they would see that they are blessed because of Jesus Christ and him alone, that they would trust in his work and his work alone for their righteousness, Lord. Apart from you, we are not righteous. But because of Jesus, we can be made right if we would trust and believe in him. Lord, I pray for everyone here that if there's anyone here who has not trusted in you, Lord, that they would trust in you, they would lay down their unrighteousness, they would lay down their sin and their brokenness, and they would identify with you in your death, your burial, and your resurrection, be resurrected to new life, be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live lives that glorify you. I pray for Ohana Church, that they would be a church that walks in the power of the Spirit, that loves people to the glory of Christ. That is something that they will not accomplish apart from your Spirit. So pour your Spirit down. Use Ohana Church to impact Hilo, impact the rest of the island and the islands of Hawaii and the world for the glory of Christ. And I pray this in your name and for your